Good morning, NCC. How are you guys doing today? Good. Are you awake this morning? I'm glad you're here today. Y'all look really good. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Jason Strand. I'm the worship and connections pastor here at NCC, and I don't have the honor of hiding behind a guitar this morning. I just get to talk to you guys. I'm really excited about it. And real quick, can we just give a hand to our amazing worship team? I don't know if all of them are in here, but they kill it, man. And it's so cool to be able to, like, I'm a worship pastor, and I don't have to lead worship this morning. I get to come and just worship with you guys, and I have such an incredible team of people that I trust um, to, to care for the vision that we have and to lead you guys well, to lead us as a church well. And uh, that's pretty awesome. They're really great. Um, so... If you're new today, we're glad you're here. If you're watching later on in the week online, uh, we're glad you joined us. Um, we're in the second week of this series we just started called Wonder. And uh, this series, man, I've, I've really been excited to, uh, to talk to you guys. I don't get the opportunity to preach a lot, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but just this series, the whole idea behind it really excites me. Um, the, the whole idea behind this series is just reawakening wonder and a sense of awe for who God is in our lives. And that's so important to us um, you know, Jesus commands in Matthew 18 that we become uh, childlike in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's important that, you know, like he's our father. Um, we read that in his word. We sing songs about the fact that he's a good, good father. And uh, as, as his children, he wants us to just trust him wholeheartedly, to seek him in every situation, and to, uh, to just be filled with kind of wonder for who he is. Like uh, my kids, I see that kind of consistently. Like uh, my kids are still young, five and and two, and especially my two-year-old, that kid, he's a perfect example of someone who's just filled with like awe and wonder for everything around him. Like uh, we were at the park uh, yesterday, and a helicopter flies over, and it's just, whoa, you know, that's, that's his reaction really to everything. <laughs> uh, but he, he's full of awe and wonder, and he trusts me. And, you know, he, let, he lets me throw him up in the air and do crazy things because he trusts me. And uh, that, that's the relationship that we want to have with the Father. I mean, think about it, like just this, this idea of awakening wonder. When we're kids, um, we're all storytellers, we're all musicians, we're all creators, and we're all architects, and we're all performers. And, you know, our, our imaginations are running wild, and there's no limit uh, to what we can think of and what we believe we'll do with our lives. But as we live, uh, we get older, life just kind of has a way of squashing all that. Um, unfortunately, and, you know, that's, it's probably the case for many of us in this room, and uh, it just becomes difficult. We kind of feel like we have everything figured out. Uh, we're not curious about a whole lot anymore. Uh, most things, we ju we've become kind of cynical, and, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of know how today's going to play out, and it's even more dangerous when we carry that attitude into the church and the way we view God, because uh, then we walk in on Sunday mornings, there's no expectation for anything amazing to happen. We, we, we know we're going to come in and sing some, sing some songs together and, and hear, you know, a teaching from the Bible, and we're going to, you know, be with our friends for a little bit, uh, but we just believe kind of we have God figured out, that, that he's predictable, and let me tell you, God is not predictable. Uh, that was never the intent that we would live our lives feeling like we've got God figured out, and we know what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. That is not the way uh, that, that he's called us to live. He's called us to live just in total trust that, God, I believe you can do anything. Like, there's no limit to what you can and can't do in my life, Father. I, I trust you in every area. It, it, even if I don't have a job right now, I trust that finances are going to come through. You're going to provide. And uh, that's the way he desires us to live, just in awe and wonder of who he is. And we're going to start off this week uh, 
kind of similar to the way we did last week. I, I think it's nice to slow our minds down a little bit for a second and refocus and just focus in on what the Lord wants to speak. So I want you all to close your eyes. Just kind of take a deep breath in. Let it out. Focus on the Lord. And we're going to pray three things together. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you each thing, and I just want you to repeat it after me. And pray it wholeheartedly this morning. And that first thing, God, reawaken wonder in my heart and mind. Teach me to have, or sorry, teach me to hear your voice clearly. And help me to respond with obedience when you lead me. That's our prayer today. You can open your eyes. That God will reawaken wonder in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, that he teach us to hear his voice clearly. And that when he speaks, we'd respond with obedience. That's the goal of our lives. That's how we show him that we love him. So let him do that in you today. We're going to follow along pretty closely with, uh, or behind the, the story that Pastor Aaron shared last week, if you were here. Um, we're in the book of Joshua. And um, Joshua is this guy who's taken over after Moses has passed away, and he's now leading the people into the promised land. God gave him this charge to do that. And uh, last week we saw the first battle, this, uh, this city called Jericho, and uh, pretty unconventional battle there. Like God tells Joshua not to just invade and take the place over. He gives him these specific instructions about marching around uh, the city. And you know what happens? He's, he's faithful, he, he's obedient, and God does what he said he was going to do. He gives them the city. It's incredible. Like, it was a really great story. If you haven't checked it out, you should uh, check it out online. Uh, but it's really, really amazing. And, and then um, there's another battle that takes place shortly after this that we didn't talk about last week. And it's kind of before we're talking about this week. So I wanted to fill in that gap. But there's a city called Ai. And this is the next uh, city they come in contact with. And God's promised them, you know, victory over every battle. This is their land. And they're taking it. And um, so they approach AI with this mindset, and several of their men are killed, and they're forced to retreat. They lose this battle. And Joshua struggles with this. It says, all night long, God, like, why, why did you let this happen? You promised me that the victory was ours. This is our land. And uh, God uh, showed him that there was sin within their, their camp. After they left Jericho, they were supposed to dedicate everything there to the Lord. It was his. They weren't supposed to take anything with them. But there was a family that did. And uh, there was this hidden sin within the camp. So God showed Joseph, or Joshua this, and he went back, and that morning he dealt with it. Uh, he, he found out who it was, and they were put to death uh, for their sin and, and what they had caused uh, the, the people of Israel there. So they took care of the sin that was within their, their camp, and they moved forward once again uh, with the battle. And this time they were victorious. They, 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 uh, they won that battle at Ai. And it was a much larger city. It was like 12,000 people. And it was pretty interesting because God even used, uh, like before, you know, they, they, they attack and they ended up retreating. And God used that to help them win uh, the, the next time they fought. They, they set up an ambush behind the city as God instructed them to. And a bunch of the Israelite soldiers uh, went to the front and they began, you know, began to battle or whatever. And they retreated and caused essentially the whole army and everyone else to come out of the city while the, you know, their army behind them ambushed and, and took the city. It was incredible, uh, just an incredible story. Um, and then after that, we read that uh, all the kings of the west, or all the kings west of the Jordan 
are hearing about these victories, and they come together to wage war against Joshua and the Israelites. They're scared. They know what's coming for them. They know what God's promised these people, and they're scared. Uh, but the people of Gibeon, this, this other city there, have a plan. And we're going to read about that in just a minute. But first, check out this video from Pastor Brian Sanders. He's going to kind of give us some, uh, some facts about our story today before we begin. Hello, New Community Church. I want you to think about this verse. There has never been a day like it before or since. Let me say that again. There has never been a day like it before or since. What day am I talking about? I'm talking about the day where God stopped the sun from setting. That's right. God gave extra hours in the day so that Joshua and the Israelite army could defeat these five armies who were trying to take out the Gibeonites. Well, who were the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites were a group of people who signed a deal with Israel, and Israel would protect them and defend them. A couple of facts to know about this faith fight. Number one, Gibeon. Gibeon was a city on a hill. That's what it means. Hill city. Whoever controlled the plateau, the hill, man, they controlled some of that region. The second thing is that Joshua and his army in the night, they knew that there was going to be a faith fight. So they got up in the night and they marched through the steep slopes in the dark, carrying all of their weapons a eight to 10 hour journey, the ultimate stair-stepping challenge as they went through the night, 15 to 20 miles, so that they would be ready for this fight in the morning. There was an elevation climb of over 3,000 feet. And that are the fab facts. All right, so that's pretty cool. That gives us, uh, you'll understand the context in a little bit as we talk about this, uh, this story uh, in, in chapter 9 of Joshua. So if you don't have a Bible, if you do have a Bible, take it out. We're going to read the Bible together today. We're going to read God's Word. If you don't, please feel free to look in front of you uh, somewhere along the row uh, under your seat backs. There should be a Bible there, and uh, that is yours to keep if you don't have a Bible. We believe the Word of God is incredibly powerful, and, and it's how we get to know the Lord. So we want you uh, to value that in your life. We want you to read it. So that is yours to keep if you don't have one. Please take that with you. Um, and we're going to start uh, looking today at Joshua chapter 9. Uh, on page 106 in, in, the, in the Bible that's in the seat back in front of you. Um, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase going through, uh, through chapter 9. I wanted us to, to, to pull some things out of this and learn some things from this uh, before we get into our main text today in chapter 10. So uh, you're welcome to follow along, but I'm not going to read it word for word. <coughs> um, so Gibeon, this city, they know they're the next ones to be destroyed. They, they know that they're the next ones that, that uh, Joshua and the Israelites are about to come in contact with, and they are scared. They, they are not ready for this. They, 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 they're doing their best, and they're not joining up with all these other kings that are banding together that are going to fight Israel. Their plan is to trick them. Uh, they're going to come up with, with a way to trick them into a, uh, making a peace treaty. And uh, I want to kind of give you an illustration just to... Uh, to get your mind working and kind of, you know, thinking about what this looks like. But, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain, I feel like I'm certain that each and every one of us have some experience uh, with this. So have you ever, 
You're just, you're on Facebook, you're minding your own business, you're scrolling through, looking at everything everybody's doing, and you're not really posting yourself, you're just looking at what everybody else is doing, and you get a message from a friend that you haven't seen in five, ten years, and this is a friend you loved, and, and, and it's like, oh man, I got a message from so-and-so, and, and they're all of a sudden extremely excited, man, I'd love to take you to coffee sometime, I'd love to go out to eat sometime and just chat, it'd be great to catch up, and all this stuff, and you're like, yeah, that sounds awesome, like, I really missed this person. And so you go meet him at Starbucks, let's say, and you walk in, and short, uh, pretty shortly into your conversation, you realize they've joined some sort of multi-level marketing scheme, or, or they're selling some product, and all of a sudden, you're kind of trapped there, and you feel a little bit just uh, betrayed, like, oh, man, I thought you wanted, you know, just to hang out, but you had, you had different motives. Um, that's kind of, that's similar to what Gibeon, uh, what, what, what happens in this story. So, their plan is this. So um, they know that, that the Lord has promised them all this land in the promised land. So their goal is to make it look like they didn't come from the promised land. We're, we're from really far away from here, and we just want to make peace with you. You've heard what your God has done. We heard that, that he you know, took all your, all, the, all your people out of Egypt, out of captivity, and you've won all these battles now. And uh, we just want peace, just in case, you know, like just in case you ever decide to branch out beyond this, we want to make sure that we're good. Um, so the way they do this, their, their plan is to get their grossest looking sandals and their worst looking clothes, and they're going to get some bread that's all moldy and disgusting, and they're going to get some old wine and put it in these old containers that would hold that wine and just do their best to play it up that we have traveled extremely far to get here. We definitely don't live very close to you, and we want peace. Uh, with, with you guys. So they, they you know, make the journey to where Joshua and the Israelites are camped at Gilgal, and um, they confront him, and, and they give them, you know, they give their spiel, you know, that, that uh, you know, we've come from a, a, a place far away from here, and we want peace with you guys. We've heard, we've heard about your God. We want peace. And, you know, his first question is, well, how, do, how do we know that you're not from, you know, from the land that we're taking right now? How do we know that you're not living on our land, our future land, and they're like, well, look at us. You know, it's obvious we've, we've traveled a long way. That bread was brand new when we packed it. Um, and, uh, you know, so they make their, uh, you know, they give them their excuses and stuff. And you know what? Joshua buys all of it. He, he, he looks at, it, at all the things they brought and, and uh, says he tries some of it. Gross. Um, but he, uh, he looks at everything they brought and he believes it. He buys a hook, line, and sinker. And um, it, it says, without consulting with the Lord, he, he decides to make a treaty with them. And uh, it, it's just kind of random and weird that he would do this. And I, I want to uh, stop here. This is going to be our first point of the day that I want us to remember. And I would encourage you guys to write this down. I know we're all adults in here. Uh, we will not remember this if we don't write it down. <laughs> um, I, I tell myself that constantly in, in NYC. Note takers are history makers. That's what we say all the time. And uh, it's important for us as adults, too. So if this is important to you and you want to reawaken awe and wonder in your life, write some of these points down so you can mull it over later and really dwell on these things. Um, but this first point we're going to look at today, and I want us to remember, never stop seeking God for guidance. That's what Joshua did right in this moment. He decided for some odd reason, you know, he's, he's been listening for the Lord and obeying and just acting in obedience this whole time and really letting the Lord lead him. And then all of a sudden, in this decision, these people, he has no clue who they are, 
um, he decides to make a decision all on his own and not consult with the Lord. He has no clue who these people are. He just trusts them based on, based on this story and, and their little bit of proof that they've traveled far off. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but he, he felt like he could handle it. And let me tell you, many of us live like this daily. Like, we don't even have the track record that Joshua did. You know, we, we, we don't have much of a track record of, of listening to the Lord and acting in obedience. Our lives are full of decisions that we choose to make on our own instead of seeking guidance from the one who gave us life and meant for us to depend on him for everything. Do you realize that? I mean, we fight for that so often in our lives. Um, I feel like just we, this need to be independent. To, to trust myself and what I can make and what I can, uh, you know, do on my own. And God did not make us to be like that. We have to fight that constantly because God made us, even from the very beginning, we can look uh, at Adam and Eve and see that he, he made us to depend on him fully for everything, for everything. So we can never stop seeking God for guidance. If we want to be filled with wonder, truly childlike in, in, in the way that we believe uh, what God is saying, then we have to be seeking and listening constantly. Remind yourselves every day that you don't have this figured out and you can't handle it on your own. Tell yourself that every day. You don't have this under control and you can't do it on your own. We have to, God wants to be intimately involved in every detail of our lives and we need him to be. I know we don't feel like it sometimes, but we desperately need him to be in the small decisions that we're making, especially in the huge decisions that we're making. We need to be seeking him for guidance and, and responding and following. So Joshua decides to make a treaty with a group of people that are occupying land that the Lord has given to him and the Israelites. Um, we'll see later God works this all out for, for his good. And for his glory, which is awesome, uh, we, we see him do that often in our lives. Um, so Joshua finds out three days later where these people are really from and that they tricked him. Um, you, I can imagine he was not happy. <laughs> can you imagine, like, God's given them this promise and, and, and there's, this is their land and these people came to him and tricked him into making peace with them. Uh, I, I, I greatly doubt that he was a happy, happy guy at that point. Uh, but you know what he does? He, he, he gets some of his men, and he makes, a, he makes the journey to go talk with these guys. And he doesn't retaliate. He doesn't act out in anger, which he probably had every right to. Um, he responds um, like the, the, the godly man that he is. He made an oath before the Lord, um, you know, with these people for peace. And he's not going to break that oath before the Lord. So he's a man of honor. He... he um, he, he's not going to act out in rage, but he just asks them, like, why would you guys do this? And they plan to describe, look, we heard what your God, you know, that your God has, has given you this land and that he's given you the, the, the order to wipe out every, every single thing in it because this is yours to take. And we didn't want that. We, you know, just straight up self-preservation mode, they did not want to die. And I totally get that. And um, so that's why we lied to you. But look, we're your servants now. We'll, we'll do whatever. Like, we, we just want to serve your God. And uh, so it ends up being, you know, that God works it out for his glory, and, um, and it's all good. So we're, we're going to now jump to chapter 10, and this is where the biggest uh, uh, part of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, this is where most of our story lies. Um, chapter 10, this is still page 106, so you don't really have to turn anywhere if you're using the, the Bible that was in your seat back. 
Um, and we're going to be, begin reading at, uh, at just uh, verse 1. We're going to read through this together. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, uh, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, uh, come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So these kings are very angry with Gibeon. You know, I can imagine they're thinking like, you were supposed to join with us to battle these guys, and you sneak off and, and make a treaty with them like, we're going to make you pay for this. You're going to feel this one. So they begin to, to work together, and they're going to attack uh, Gibeon at this point. Their minds are totally off Israel, uh, the, the real threat, and they're going to take care uh, of Gibeon. I want, to, I want to remind us, this is the land of Canaan, and you know, early on when the spies are sent out to, to look into the promised land and see what's there, they came back and said, look, this land is full of giants. Uh, so we, we can believe that, that these kings and, and probably many of the men fighting are giants. They're, they're larger than a normal human being, which kind of adds just the intimidation factor of this whole thing. Five armies of possible giants coming together uh, against Gibeon. And, and they're doing this because, like you said, Gibeon was at, a, at kind of a crucial point. Um, like you control Gibeon, you've, you've got, you know, a lot on your side. And uh, not only that, but it says Gibeon was full of, of you know, well-trained warriors, essentially. Like a lot of the uh, um, commentaries I've read said to look at it almost like Sparta. Like these guys are like Spartan warriors. Like they're ready for battle, which... Uh, just being honest, I would not have gotten from what we just read in chapter 9 about how they, you know, like snively and, and you know, formed this plan to trick uh, Joshua uh, into making this peace treaty with them. I just didn't get the idea that, that these guys were battle-hardened warriors, but it's just pretty interesting uh, to think about. So we're going to move back into the, the text, verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up position uh, against Gibeon and attacked it. And the Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us and quickly save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Can you imagine what's going through Joshua's mind at this point? Can you imagine he's a little bit frustrated at this decision that he's made? He's now about to head into a battle with uh, five different armies at once that they have to travel for. And I can imagine he's a little bit frustrated that he didn't, like, why did I think I had this handled? Why did I think I could do this on my own? He probably struggled with the fact that this is happening all because of a stupid decision that he made on his own. Now, we don't do that very often, right? We don't make stupid decisions on our own. Um, I, 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 I'm definitely speaking from experience there. Um, as we learned in the video earlier, this is a difficult journey that led straight into battle. This wasn't something where they were going to travel for a little while and then rest and recoup and get ready to fight these guys. It was eight to ten hours uphill in all of their armor with their weaponry, lots of dudes, and they're, they're climbing this mountain and they're heading straight into battle. There's no relaxing. Can you imagine how exhausting 
that would have been. Most of us uh, like wouldn't last you know 20 minutes on a treadmill at a medium <laughs> rate of speed. But these guys, they're 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 hitting it hard, and then they're going to run straight into battle. And in the midst of this, the Lord speaks to him. We read in verse seven. So Joshua marched up to Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of him, or do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And what's interesting here is it doesn't say Joshua was praying. He wasn't engaging with the Lord at that point. But in the midst of all this chaos around him, in the midst of making this really hard journey and preparing for battle, he hears from the Lord say, do not be afraid. Well, you've got this. The victory is yours. Do not be afraid. I, I think we can draw from context clues that Joshua was probably afraid, right? I, I can't imagine God's trying to build him up and tell him, like, hey, don't be afraid if he's not actually afraid. Like, we can imagine. Joshua's a man. You know, he's, he's frustrated. Um, he's scared. This, this is going to be a difficult battle. Five armies at one time. Uh, and this is, this is where we're going to hit our second point, and I want you to write this down. Know his voice and listen to what he's speaking. Know his voice and listen to what he is speaking. Just like any person you know, um, it takes time for us to learn the voice of God. It takes time for us to learn how to hear the Lord. In John 10, 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Joshua cultivated this early on in his life. In Exodus 33, 11, we read that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend, which that's incredible right there. Like, <laughs> let's sit there for a second, that, that, that Moses was able to speak to the Lord face to face as a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He wanted to be in the presence of God. He wanted to know the presence of God well like Moses did. So he stayed. He lingered. He was willing to listen. My mom's sitting back there, and I know her voice really well. You know, for, for all of my life, I've known her voice, 34 years now. I know, when, I, I know her voice when it's quiet, and I know her voice when it's loud. You know, if I was lost in the store when I was little, and I heard her voice, uh, I could pick it out amongst all the other craziness that was going on at the time. I knew her voice. I could discern what my mother's voice was and my dad's voice was. And it's the same with God, but I think many of us don't ever take the time to really quiet down and learn to hear the voice of God in the quiet. And, you know, it says it comes to a still, small voice uh, a lot of times. And, and, and until we know that still, small voice, it's going to be extremely difficult uh, in a situation like Joshua's in, in the middle of going into battle or in the middle of a battle, to ever hear the Lord speaking uh, to your heart to ever hear the voice of the Lord encouraging you and saying, look, you've got this. I have the victory. Don't worry. You're never going to hear that unless, unless we learn to cultivate in the quiet. He learned God's voice in the quiet, which makes it infinitely easier to hear it in the chaos. I'm going to say that again. He learned God's voice in the quiet, which makes, which makes it infinitely easier easier to hear in the chaos. This is something very difficult for us. Um, quiet is not something we're used to. We've always got a radio blast, and we've always got podcasts that we're listening to. We've got TV and video games and 
um, kids and friends, and our lives are constantly filled with noise. So when we do actually, you know, every once in a while find ourselves in a just quiet, still moment, we don't know what to do with ourselves. It's like, oh man, this seems like an eternity. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, you almost want to turn on something loud. But we've got to learn to cultivate um, those silent moments. Quiet is something we're learning to practice in this emotionally healthy spirituality. I said it right. Class uh, on Sunday nights um, as a church. And it's something that's, it, like I said, it's very foreign to us. Like, we're um, every day doing devotionals in the morning and the evening. And we start with two minutes of silence and stillness, and we end with two minutes of silence and stillness. And man, for the first few, I've been talking to a few of you that are doing it, you feel the same way. It, those two minutes feel like an eternity. It's like, really? Two, only two minutes has just passed by? We don't know how to handle the quiet, but that's the best way that we're going to learn his voice. It's vital to hearing um, his voice. Like, if we want to follow his voice, follow what he's speaking to us well, um, we've got to be able to hear his voice. And if we want to walk in wonder of the, the wonder of the Lord and where he's leading us, then, then it's something we've got to cultivate in our lives. If you want to walk in wonder and see God do incredible things, you've got to be following him. You know, we, we can't do that on our own. I, I can't produce anything that cool by myself. I want to walk and just, man, God, like, I can't believe you just did that. That is so incredible. And the only way we're going to ever have that mindset and walk in that um, is if we cultivate um, hearing his voice. So a lot of cool things are about to happen right now. So we're going to hop back in. Verse 9. So after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Haran, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. How cool is that? What a clear example of, of God fighting our battles. You know, we hear that a lot, but we see it pretty clear uh, in this story right now what it looks like uh, when God is fighting alongside in our battles, when he's promised us um, a specific outcome, he's going he's gonna to make it happen, whatever, it, like it's going to be beyond what you could have ever thought. I mean, can you imagine being Joshua and, you know, they just made this eight to ten hour uphill uh, journey. And, you know, I just imagine they're kind of breaking over that, the, the edge of a hill or something. And they, say, they see the enemy there and it's time for war. And the enemy all of a sudden, does, like they're all acting crazy. You know, they're running in different directions, they're retreating, they're scared, because God has just made them all confused. Incredible. So they, they, Israel begins to pursue them, and then all of a sudden in this pursuit, as they're fighting, God starts throwing these large hailstones down from the sky and defeats more of the enemy than, than any of the Israelites did. And you know what's cool? It doesn't, like, it, 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 it doesn't tell us that any Israelites or Gibeonites were harmed at all. These giant hailstones falling from the sky only took out the enemy. Only God can do that. Can you imagine how Joshua felt in that moment? Like, first off, um, probably confusion and excitement when he sees all this, all, you know, these, 
the, all these enemies just confused and running away. But then can you imagine as you're fighting hailstones? I have no clue how big they are, what they look like, but falling from heaven, taking out the enemy all around me. Like, incredible, unbelievable. And I want to kind of just stick a little side note in here. Um, you know, we battle differently now. God expects us uh, to be fighting alongside of him. Um, he, you know, he, he's given us victory in our lives, but he doesn't expect us to just sit around and wait for it to happen. As many of us, man, it's, it's, it's way easier to try to do that, but you're not going to see that victory just sitting around waiting for God to do it for you. As we can see here, Joshua was fighting alongside him uh, all this way. God did way more than, than uh, Joshua and the Israelites could have ever done. Um, but the way we battle now is not with, you know, we don't battle enemies of flesh and blood. We're not, we're not running around with swords and shields and everything else. We war with our worship. We've been talking about that. We've been singing songs about that uh, lately. The way that we war now is we look at the enemy, and then we just look away, and we look at the Lord instead, and we begin to give him honor and glory as he fights battles for us. We're not even worried. We're not looking at the enemy. We're not giving him the time of day. The way that we battle is, is we worship the Lord. We offer up a song of thanksgiving, a, a song of praise as he fights those battles for us. Amen? That's how we fight today. It's a little side note. I'm going to get back to the story. Um, so we're going to hop back in, verse 12, and this is where it gets really crazy. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ihalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. What just happened here? <laughs> Joshua, like he knew, he knew some things about battle. He, he, he's looking around and... Um, you know, he sees that even though God's given us victory, we need more time. I, I, like, I've been in situations like this. We need more time uh, to win this. So he prays boldly. He, he knows they need more victory. So he, or sorry, more daylight to, to gain this victory. So he, he, um, he prays boldly. Let me throw this in there too because I was feeling this earlier. Um, many of us read that scripture and nothing Nothing within us responded with any sort of like reaction other than like, oh, that's pretty cool. That is the most amazing thing that's ever happened. <laughs> you know, it says that there's never been a day like it before and never been a day like it since. And we can read an account like that and just like, oh, it's pretty cool. Like, no, we ought to drop what we're doing and just allow like, oh, man, I like just give praise to the Lord for what he's done. Like that is unimaginable. We've never seen anything like that. Before or after. So he prays boldly for the sun and moon to stop so they have the daylight to win this battle that God has promised that they would. And look, he has no idea how our solar system works, obviously, right? You know, we now know that we're revolving around the sun, that it's the earth that's moving. But God responded to this ignorant prayer um, with, um, with wisdom. You know, he, he knew exactly what Joshua needed, so he did just that. 
Um, and just, just to give you a little science lesson, if the earth were to stop spinning today, our atmosphere would continue spinning at the speed that the earth is turning right now, meaning that every rock, tree, building, people, your dog, everything would begin moving immediately at around 1,100 miles per hour and be swept away into the atmosphere. That, that's the, the, what happens if the earth stops spinning as we read in this story. But that's not what happened, is it? So God heard this prayer of Joshua and responded and gave him what, we, what he needed, but also kept all this chaos and craziness from happening. God is a good God. God is an amazing God. I, like, this, this blows my mind. And I, kind of uh, round and third heading home, this, this is the last thing we're going to focus on this morning, the last point that I have for you. Just looking at, at, at Joshua's prayer here, we, got, we have to pray bold prayers for God's purposes. Notice that Joshua, he got up in front of all of Israel to speak this bold prayer out. He wasn't timid. He wasn't shy about it. It wasn't one of those things. God, I know you've promised this, uh, but here's what it looks like right now. We kind of, you know, this isn't going to happen if we don't have a little bit more daylight. I don't know what you'd want to do about that, but that's typically how, it, you know, in my life or uh, maybe many of our lives, that's how we pray. It's not a bold prayer. That's not a specific prayer. That's just kind of like, God, you know, you promised this. Can you figure this out? Uh, That was not what Joshua was about here. He wasn't concerned with how it would look if God didn't do what he asked. That wasn't even on his mind. He knows the promise God has given him, and he speaks it out boldly. We need more daylight so sun stands still. And God responded and let that happen. How often do we try to protect God's reputation? Just in case this prayer doesn't come true, I'm going to soften it up a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't want this person to, um, you know, to, to be angry with God if they're not healed right now. So, so I'm not going to pray boldly over this person that they would be healed. I wonder how often he would have come through if we had had the humility just to ask. Because that's what that is. That's saying, God, look, I don't have all the answers, and I trust you. I trust these promises that you've given me, so I'm going to pray boldly over those things. And you know what? You may not see, it may not happen right away every single time, but God's asking us to persevere a little bit. We give up too easy. You know, we'll we'll pray over somebody one time and nothing happens, so, all right, because it wasn't meant to be. Like, man, where's the fight in us, Right? To, just to persevere and to pray bold prayers into God's promises, into God's will. In, in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we, ha- that we have asked of him. It's so important that we pray boldly. It's so important because, you know, that shows that, that, that we're full of awe and wonder. You know, we're asking for God to awaken that in us. And I pray that it's awakening those bold prayers in us once again. That, that, that we wouldn't pray these, these weak prayers over the things that God's promised us. And we're going to put that into practice this morning um, just as a response. Um, I want you to begin to think about your life and think about the things that the Lord has spoken to you, the things that you've read in his word. We know God's will for this world. He, he, he wills that every single person knows uh, the person of Jesus and has a relationship with him. He wants every single person to experience his love and his grace and his mercy. He wants, the people, he wants people to experience healing. 
He wants people to experience freedom. And there's other specific things that he's promised, maybe you, he's spoken into your life, uh, he's giving you visions of, uh, that you've just kind of quit praying about. You know, there, there, there's, there's something in my life, just being open and honest. Um, a few years ago, um, God really birthed it in my heart. I, I want to see, and I, I'll rephrase that, he wants to see churches begin to work together, to be more unified. The fact that like we're all on the same team. We say we all follow Jesus, but we're all territorial. We don't work together. We have zero relationship. And God really put that in my heart like we have to fix this. We have to do whatever it's going to take so that, so that people looking at the church don't think we're a joke because we don't even love each other. How can we love anybody else? And that's something he placed in my heart. And that was actually my first contact with NCC uh, about five five or six years ago probably, before we ever got here. And uh, that's something he birthed in my heart that I haven't been praying boldly over. It's not something I even pray over every day, but it's something he wants to see. So in that promise, in God's will, I need to begin to pray boldly over, over the relationships that he's given me and, and, and all these other factors. So I want you to dream big. I want you to think about the, the plans that God has for you, about the, his will in the earth.